Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's show, we welcome special guests, Chris DeWolf, CEO and co-founder of Jam City, and Emil Michael, CEO of DPCM Capital. Jam City recently announced a merger with SPAC DPCM Capital in a $1.2 billion deal. On the podcast, Chris and Emil discuss how their experience in the C-suite at MySpace and Uber helped them in their entrepreneurial journeys, keys to success in the mobile gaming industry, insights into the future of mobile games, DPCM's thesis on Jam City as a merger partner, Jam City's growth plans and outlook on acquisitions, and more. So with no further ado, here's our podcast with both Chris and Emil from Jam City and DPCM talking about their merger. One point of disclosure is that the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF holds a position in SPAC DPCM Capital. Enjoy the show. All right, we're live with Chris and ML. Chris coming from Jam City, ML coming from DPCM. Excited to chat with you guys today. So thank you for coming on the podcast today. Big news coming with DPCM and Jam City and the growing public transaction. What I find very interesting and intriguing prior to getting into that is you guys have some pretty unique backgrounds coming from very well-known companies. Chris, you're CEO and co-founder of MySpace, the original social network from 2003-2009. And ML, you're chief business officer at Uber up until 2017. So certainly very well-known brands by pretty much every kind of North American consumer or perhaps global. I was wondering if you guys could touch a bit about your background. Chris, you first. Tell us about your historical experience at MySpace, lessons learned, and how you applied that to co-founding and leading Jam City as CEO. Yeah, sure. So we started MySpace um, in 2003. And uh, it was interesting for me because I'm always about sort of looking at the trends that are out there and trend spotting. Um, and for me, it was a common, the success of MySpace was really a combination of the team that we had assembled, um, as well as the trends that were in place that I saw around me. What I mean by that is everyone had a camera and every camera, sorry, everyone had a phone. And in that phone was a camera. So people were taking pictures but they didn't have any fun places uh, to store them and share them with their friends. Um, around that time, everyone was beginning to have a broadband access, 2003, 2004. You know, so before that, there was sort of a stigma with socializing online that was beginning to go away. And so there, there was this sort of confluence of macro factors that were happening um, in our culture that just lent itself really well to creating a platform where people could connect around their shared interests and um, you know, be able to, to share their favorite media and what was going on in their lives. Interesting. Now, what was the thesis behind the founding of Jam City in 2010? You mentioned perhaps there's 
you know, similarity in my space with respect to trend setting. Certainly mobile games is a, a massive trend that, that we're still going through 11 years later. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was even a little bit more, a uh, little bit more micro, micro than that. There were, there were a lot of trends that were sort of happening that got me really excited about gaming. So like at its essence, MySpace was a platform for um, sharing personal media as well as um, traditional media. And when we were able to take a deep dive into the analytics around all the medium that was shared on MySpace, um, games were by far and away the most shared. And so that these viral mechanics that were leveraged better in a social atmosphere than any other medium. So that was really interesting to me. And then looking at the folks that were playing games on that platform, the majority of them were first time online players. So you could see it would be a very large, very fast growing market and a large market that comprised was comprised of very wide demographic groups. And then to your point, just a minute ago, um, mobile was beginning to take off in a big way and certainly had taken off both in social networking and in gaming and music in, in Japan and Korea. So it's only a matter of time. And everything sort of aligned for me around um, all, of those, all of those factors. So, Emil, I wanted to touch on your background quickly as well. You used to be at Uber up until 2017. Do you want to touch on your career track record and why you started DPCM? Yeah, so, so Uber was actually my third startup. I've been in Valley um, at tech companies since 1999, so right in the beginning, and had some good successes with companies, but nothing like Uber. That was sort of, a, you know, a lightning in a bottle. Uh, but what was exciting about that company was a couple of things. Number one, consumers all over the world wanted the same thing. They wanted to push a button and get a ride. It was almost a human universal need. So when that was enabled for the first time by Uber, it was sort of magic. And if you've talked to people, I still talk to people who use Uber for the first time, they're like, that was magic. The first time I pushed a button and a physical card showed up where I was and took me where I wanted to go. And so that's why the business took off with the speed that it did. It was a, human, a basic uh, human need is to get around their city or their, their town. So what that led to after four years of global growth and new business lines from Uber Rides, Uber Eats, and then the grocery delivery, um, I really went into DPCM Capital looking to find another founder-led company that had global appeal that was also... Um, tied to basic human needs. And in this case, it's entertainment. And the TAM is just as big. Right now, I think there's about almost 3 billion gamers in the world. And that'll go to 4 billion and 5 billion as everyone gets smartphones and data prices come down, as they have dramatically in India and China in the last few years. So if you think about what Chris has built at Jam City, it's a global enterprise uh, running on computers that everyone in their ha has in their pocket across income spectrums. And in the time they spend on games rivals that of the time that people spend on Instagram and YouTube. So it's an incredible total addressable market in which to monetize users and them entertainment and, and have them be part of the Jam City sort of collection of titles that they pull together. Yeah, certainly the macro thesis makes sense. Three billion gamers, global appeal, massive total addressable market. But mobile games are incredibly competitive. And Chris, you probably have my childhood dream job growing up. I definitely wanted to be a, a video game developer, programmer, 
and uh, publisher, but nonetheless, I, I figured that throughout university, I didn't like programming as much as I thought just doing engineering, but I digress. I mean, you guys have some certified hits, Cookie Jam, Panda Pop. What are some keys to success in the mobile game business? And, you know, I don't want to encourage your competitors, but you guys, you know, have seemed to make it work with pretty massive success thus far. Yeah, the mobile gaming business is really that intersection of where, you know, the magic meets the measure. And so, you know, we're always striving to make incredibly deep, rich mobile entertainment experiences. And so we have folks on board um, that have the experience, you know, either from the movie, television industry, or, you know, traditional gaming industry that can put those types of experiences together. But then you have the measured piece, um, which is, the technology that all of our games run on. And that's really what accelerates our games to the next level. And any kind of M&A we do, it accelerates it to the next level. So we've built this platform that all of our games run on top of. It's called Jam City Live. And we've been building that over the last 10 years and spent tens of millions of dollars on that. It essentially helps us with three different activities. Um, the first one is bringing more players into the game using machine learning, artificial intelligence, and data science. Uh, The second thing it really helps us out with is player retention. And so customizing the experience for all of the players that that come on to any of our games, so making sure they have a good onboarding process and, you know, they're getting into the game in the right way. And then finally, you know, with monetization to make sure that um, the game is merchandised really well. And so, um, you know, we, we have this massive investment in this platform that we're able to leverage all over, over all of these super creative games. And then we're able to go out and do M&A um, and find these incredibly creative companies out there that have built these deep, rich mobile entertainment experiences but haven't had the capital or the time or the resources to build such a rich, uh, deep technology infrastructure. So we put those two together and, you know, really the goal for us is to double the bookings um, in our games after the uh, M&A is complete. So to an outsider like myself, it appears like having a hit game is somewhat like catching lightning in a bottle. If I look at something like Flappy Bird, which was kind of developed by some guy in his basement and turns out to be massively successful. You mentioned you have this Jam City Live platform, basically making it somewhat formulaic in terms of building successful games, bringing players into the game, retaining them, and then monetizing them. Is that how you guys approach it with respect to a formula on each of the uh, games that you put out there? Or... You know, is there a significant luck component uh, in terms of knowing what's going to be successful, what's mm-hmm. going to work? And the other thing that I was wondering is, you know, a massive games kind of like Fortnite that kind of changed the, the environment with like freemium and, and that type of model. What are your thoughts on, on the current environment for games? Yeah, so like I think first and foremost, it starts out with the story and the world that you build. So um, it's not formulaic. Uh, definitely from that perspective. So you have to have incredibly creative folks that can build that story and create the world and or adapt the canon from an IP that's already out there, like a Harry Potter, Hogwarts mystery, or any of the Disney IPs. 
we translated into mobile gaming experiences. Um, so that's important to note. Um, when you're talking about sort of hit games, we look at it in a little bit of a different way. So we have what we call seven forever franchises. And what that means is we have seven franchises that have generated $100 million or more in lifetime bookings. And we do that by continually updating the content literally every day, if not every week. Um, that can be new levels, that can be new features, new worlds, um, new collectibles. And so it's always a fresh and fun experience um, for our players. And so Emil mentioned like uh, how many minutes, the engagement per day that um, folks on our platform will play 40 to 50 minutes a day. It's become part of their daily routines. But not, it's not only that, they play it for like our goal and our belief is that our players should be playing for many years, if not decades. And that's the way we approach the business. And can you speak to the margin profile of the mobile gaming industry and, and why it's such a, a, a great business as well? Yeah. So, you know, we have we're, we're fortunate in that we have a large network of folks I should say players um, throughout all of our games. Many of our players play multiple games in our network. Um, so that definitely helps margins. We're able to reuse like game engines. Um, we get a lot of word of mouth um, that brings players into our games. And then our games are built inherently social. So my background is in social. And so we're always thinking about ways to make our games more fun by making them more social um, because games were meant to be played in a communal way. And so the more organic users you're getting into your game, you're reducing your marketing costs. Um, also in many of our um, larger grossing games, we've licensed third-party intellectual property, which we've then translated into these mobile gaming experiences. And in a lot of those games, about you know up to 70% or more of those players come into the game organically, again, keeping your marketing costs down. And so between the sort of notion of reusing um, a lot of your infrastructure, like I talked about in Jam City Live, reusing a lot of your the game components, your game engines that you've built, and then having third-party IP that people are finding, and then having this huge um, cross-promotion network uh, that we can send players around to our different games really helps with the margins, at least within our company. And so the other thing that I would also, one final thing I would say is that as our forever franchises, so I mentioned these seven games that are just steady eddy in revenue or bedrock of revenue growing every year, as they grow and as people, as our cohorts of users that may have joined the game in 2014 are still playing in 2018, 19, and 20, like your margins expand because you're not, um, again, um, spending marketing dollars. You spent those back in 2014 and um, you're generating revenue in 2020 and 2021 from those players. So that's where retention um, becomes so important in your games and to build those games that are, we call forever franchises, or you can think of them as, um, as being as evergreen as possible. 
And now, a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers, with a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF, with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Absolutely. And I mean, that's what's really interesting about the franchise model, right, is is it's a very sticky relationship. And theoretically, uh, those those users will be earning more money as as they age as well. Um, so it's it's a really great business model. Um, so now looking to the future of the mobile gaming industry, where do you see some significant opportunity for innovation in the next 10 to 20 years? So I'll, I'll talk about what I sort of believe in the industry in general, not necessarily what our strategic initiatives are right now, although we think about these things every day. Um, we, we believe the consumer is becoming a lot more sophisticated. So as I mentioned before, in the early days of mobile gaming, you know, many of the players were, were first-time online gamers. Um, now many of them have been playing for, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten years. So they're becoming more sophisticated to the point where you can build more complex games and mash up different game mechanics in different ways to make, make the games more fun and, and um, create uh, unique experiences. Um, I think, you know, machine learning and, and artificial intelligence to provide that more uh, bespoke ex- experience um, to each individual user will also become more prevalent. And that's something that's actively happening in our game. I think the, the use of NFTs um, will become more mainstream. You know, we've seen that a little bit um, on, the, on the collectible side and in niche ways in the, in the art markets. But I personally believe that that's going to be a huge growth area for mobile gaming uh, because mobile gaming, uh, in general, there's a lot of collection mechanics uh, that that are leveraged there. And um, I think the the notion of ownership, owning things within a game um, is something that's interesting and being able to show off uh, those items that are of value to you and others that play the game. Um, is going to be incredibly important. So the notion of NFTs, I think, could be a big growth area for the industry. And then I know everyone's been talking about VR and AR and what that's going to do to gaming for the last, you know, 10 years. And sometimes it feels like it's never going to happen, but I honestly do feel like um, that's going to be um, an, an important um, evolution as there are more and more, you know, sort of real-world experiences that are, unreachable to the average person that can now become that are now within reach um, as VR becomes more and more sophisticated. One thing that I think would be very helpful to investors to understanding the Jam City story is getting into the monetization. Now, one thing that stood out to me in your investor presentation is, and I was really surprised at this, average monthly spend per player, $44.75. That just seems very, very high. So you guys certainly have a successful way of monetizing the players nearly one point or roughly 1.1 million monthly players per month or monthly pairs per month so how does that 
uh, average monthly spend per payer work? Is it, you know, do you have a small number of whales that are just spending a fortune each month and many that don't really spend? Is it a predo distribution? Are you finding you're able to effectively monetize, you know, most of the consumers of the content in the games? Yes, I, sh- I probably should have led with this that all of our free games are absolutely free to download. And um, we make, we generate our revenue on a combination of in-app purchases, um, which are bundles um, or items that you can buy in a game that make the game more fun to play. And then um, so that's maybe approximately, give or take, 85% of our revenue. Okay. And then 15% of our revenue comes from advertising. Okay. That helps clarify it. So I wanted to get into the transaction you guys recently announced, a business combination between Jam City and DPCM, a $1.2 billion merger. This is happening 11 years after the founding of Jam City. So Chris, why are you going public and why is now the right time? Yeah, so the market is, we've talked about this a little bit earlier, that there's almost 3 billion players uh, now worldwide in the industry. The market is growing incredibly quickly. Um, I think in 1995, it was something like 150 million. So it's a huge growing market. Um, It's consolidating. We've been a consolidator. Uh, We want to continue to do that. Um, We've been very successful in the past at M&A. We would like to do more of that and accessing the capital markets to do more M&A in the future is, is absolutely a strategy of ours and something that we've um, you know, proven out over the years at Jam City and have proven out over the years even prior to that. Um, between everything I've done at MySpace and past companies that I've started, as well as my co-founder, Josh Aguado, um, who is in corporate development um, at, at Box, and then um, like obviously one of the reasons that we wanted to partner up with DPCM was not only like our shared thesis on sort of where the future of people live, we're going to be in uh, meeting playing online games um, was going to be incredibly important, but like their experience in strategy growth and M and a between everything Emil did at, at Uber um, as well as Denmark West, who we've known for, many years who's on Emil's team and is going to be joining our board. Denmark ran corporate development for Viacom Networks uh, for many years, then was one of the top executives at BET. And so um, we're going public to, you know, really try and consolidate the industry and continue to do what we do best, um, which is invest in new games that we build organically in-house and, and, and um, execute on M&A. So it's great to have both the sponsor and the business combination company on the same podcast because I can ask you guys kind of equivalent questions, but on the flip side of the coin. So Emil, what were the main reasons you selected Jam City for your business combination? Some people say, you know, having a SPAC, you go out there, you date a number of companies and then ultimately get married to one. Can you tell us some of the background, the due diligence process and what ultimately led to the business combination with Jam City? Yeah, so a few important things. One is because it's a compressed process, uh, it's back to generally move fast and it's been competitive. 
the fact that we as a SPAC knew Chris and his team well over many years was really important. Because that means we had a rapport, we had trust. And he's saying, like you mentioned, Denmark West worked with them when he was at Viacom. Uh, one of our other partners had sold his company into Jam City. So we had a you know, decade-long relationship with Chris and his team, which meant that we trusted them, we agreed with their vision, um, and we've been tracking them for years. So that was sort of you know, principle one. Principle two was we wanted a real business. And in the SPAC market these days, there's a wide variety of, of businesses that are, are trying to go public via SPAC, and some yeah. of them are not doing revenue till 2025. <laughs> and so we said, how about a, we find a business that's a product in market today that's generating revenue and cash flow and uh, has a strategy for winning in the public markets, which, as Chris said, getting a currency to do more acquisitions faster and better sort of just adds to the velocity that the company is already running on. So that was a big factor, too. And I think we chose right because right now you're seeing a dramatic slowdown in the SPAC market for companies that don't have businesses that exist today, but exist, you know, in theory or in the future. Um, and then third was founder-led. And the reason founder-led is important and having come from Uber and sort of seeing that go from founder-led to not founder-led is the passion and the long-term vision that one can do when they're founder-led because they're patient and this is their baby um, is really, in my view, a really important part of building a long-term, sustainable, great company. And so all three of those were, were part of why we chose Jam City. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers. With a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance, the Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies in one easy to use, one choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. And you guys mentioned one of the main reasons in going public is to continue your successful consolidation strategy. You mentioned M&A is a key component. So can you discuss your M&A strategy and initiatives in general? And then also specifically, do you want to touch on the concurrent acquisition of Ludia? Yes, our strategy is to find the most uh, creative teams in the world, creative studios in the world that have found the fun or the magic um, in the game that they have built and a following in the game that they have built, but haven't necessarily invested in the technology. So then we can acquire that team, bring them onto the Jam City team, plug their games into the Jam City Live platform, increase the monetization and the retention through our technology, and then maintain this wonderful, you know, creative game leadership where they do what they want to do, which is build amazingly creative experiences for their many fans. But we're able to, you know, broadcast that game to many more players throughout the world and expose that to many more players uh, throughout the world. And a perfect example is Ludia. Um, They've built, they're one of the most creative mobile gaming companies in the world. Um, you know, one of their biggest games is Jurassic World Alive. I think it's the second largest AR, mobile AR game 
uh, in the world. And they have continued to, to, to build this, this large base of users, but we believe, but haven't had the time to, or resources to develop this technical infrastructure that I've talked about that we have with, with Jam City Live. So um, th- we feel that this is an especially important feature to this, this transaction that we're talking about today um, with you and, and with Emil, that um, we have a strategy of M&A and organic growth, but we have a bird in the hand um, in this partnership um, acquisition that we're doing concurrently with this back merger in acquiring um, Ludia. And uh, we couldn't be more excited about it. And so Chris and Emil, you both are serial entrepreneurs, but also uh, serial successful entrepreneurs. I was just wondering for, for our listeners, do you have any advice for future founders? I'll go first and then Chris, you chime in. I, there is in some ways never been a better time than to be in tech. Um, and, and for a lot of reasons, number one, there's just the global capital markets are fully behind tech disruption in every continent and almost every sector. So the opportunities are sort of endless. Where When Chris and I came up, this was not a worldwide global phenomenon with almost infinite money. You had to really hustle for VC money and you know, you couldn't hire as fast. And there was like niches of where you can, you even had to live in San Francisco or LA just to get the money. You couldn't be in other cities. So I think right now the opportunity is global. So my, my um, advice to up and comers would be, you know, if you had to choose between sort of a stable job at a bank versus starting a company that's disrupting the banks, maybe take a shot when you're young at at, at the up and comers, because there's a lot more to come in terms of disrupting old school industries right now. Um, and I think taking that is both fulfilling and you learn faster. For sure. Um, all that's consistent and true uh, for me. I, th- I think some other distinct differences and, and interesting reasons why now is a great time to become an entrepreneur is that um, you can build a lot more. Everything is cheaper to build. so. You know, it used to be, again, that at least when I was coming up, I'm going to be a little bit older than Emil. Maybe when we were coming up, you would build, the, you'd make, create this, you know, 30 or 40 page deck, you know, that would take you many weeks and you'd always iterate on it. And now you can create, you know, a much smaller deck, but you can actually create a prototype of whatever it is, the product that you want to build, you know, before you've even gone out to raise a Series A round of money. You know, so for a very small investment, you can you can create a prototype of what you want to build. So everything is cheaper. You can um, it's much easier to explain. Um, it becomes more real. Um, you can be more nimble in terms of adjusting that product to make sure you have the right product market fit. Uh, the final piece of advice is um, definitely stay humble. And I think we can all say that. Probably everyone on this podcast can say that. Um, there were times at, at MySpace when I thought there was no one that could ever catch up to us because we we're three times bigger than everyone else. And there's a lot of competitors out there and um, you can always learn from other folks. Um, and then like, really assembling the right team has been incredibly important to me. You know, and I, I mentioned that a little bit about the team that we've assembled at Jam City where you know, one of my co-founders, um, my COO was top executive at Fox, responsible for um, working on some of the top franchises there. 
my other co-founder was um, one of the top CTOs in the world and was my CTO at, at MySpace. And so kind of making sure that um, all those um, holes are, are filled with the greatest people in the world is incredibly important, especially when um, you're running into a, a situation where things aren't always going right. You always have someone to lean back on and figure out the right solution. And so over the years, I think a lot of the success has been attributed to staying humble, the team, and um, being really nimble. So being nimble, staying humble, building a great team. Appreciate those words of advice. All your insights today, Chris and Emil. Thank you for coming on the podcast. For investors interested in looking at the stock currently trading under the symbol XPOA, closing later this year as expected. Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on the Absolute Return podcast. We wish you the best of luck in the future and we'll be monitoring how things progress. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for having us on. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result.